he doesn't want him to go. Oh, Cam, one of these days you'll be able to go too. <laughs> oh. Well, there was a little girl, and um, she's riding home with her mommy from church. And uh, she says to mommy, she says, Mommy, I'm a little bit confused uh, about the things that the pastor said. Now, I know that never happens here in this church. Uh, your children never are confused by what I say. But this little girl was, and she says, Mommy, I'm confused. She says, I thought I heard the pastor say that God is bigger than we are. Is that true? And the mommy said, well, yes, that is true. But mommy, I also think I heard the pastor say that God lives in us. Is that true? Well, yes, that's true too, honey. She said, well, if that's true, then wouldn't he show through? We come to Romans chapter 8 in a section we call the section of sanctification. The section in which we now, having acknowledged our sin, chapters 1, 2, and 3, we who now are justified and declared righteous, chapters 4 and 5, we now come to those chapters in which God should show through. In other words, we have said that we are crucified with Christ, nevertheless we live. But it's not really us who live, but it's Christ who is living in and through us, God should show through if we come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. Sanctification is letting God show through. We looked last week at chapter 7. We said that uh, we're in a spiritual warfare. Uh, Paul, he described what he himself was going through, where there were certain things that he was surprised he would do because he knew he shouldn't be doing those, and yet he had a problem trying to find within him the strength to do it. But he was trying oftentimes in his own effort. And we looked at the word I, me, and my, and Paul said, in my own effort, I really can't win this battle. But thanks be to God, because victory comes through Christ. We need to understand that there is a battle raging within us. And part of that battle is the battle of your mind. The battlefield of your mind is what we want to talk about this morning. There is a war raging inside every Christian for control of the mind. The mind, someone said, is like a rudder. It steers the ship. It determines the course in which the ship will go. The mind is like that. The mind steers the course of your life. We're going to say in just a moment that you are what you think. Did you know that? You are what you think. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. And I wasn't actually planning to go in this direction uh, until this week. And... I read just these verses in verses 5 through 11 about the mind. And, you know, I thought, wow, what a great path to go this morning. Because Satan wants to control your minds. He wants for you to follow his way. 
Follow with me in Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 5. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile toward God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. First of all, the statement found in verse 5 that we do have two mindsets. We do have two mindsets. In verse 5, it says that one is dominated by the sinful nature and the other is dominated by the Spirit. One is controlled by Satan. One is controlled by God. Back in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 17, we read this. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. Satan wants to control your mind. And once he controls it, he has defeated you, and he wins. Checkmate. Satan wants to brainwash you, so that you might see his way. And he wants to use your thinking as a weapon to control you. You know, I was reading something quite interesting uh, this week. Uh, Some of you I know are athletes, um, and you know the importance that the mind plays in athletics, whatever that might be. The mind is so much a part of everything we do, and it's very difficult at times to discipline the mind. The difficulty of controlling the mind is underscored by Lanny Basham. He's an Olympic gold medalist in shooting the small bore rifle. I'm not sure even what that is, but he's an Olympist who shoots a rifle, okay? For those of you that uh, aren't rifle um, enthusiasts, uh, he shoots uh, in with a rifle. And he explained in Sports Illustrated this. This is what he said. He said, our sport is controlled non-movement. I never thought of that. Our sport is controlled non-movement. We are shooting from 50 meters over half a football field at a bull's eye three quarters the size of a dime. If the angle of error at the point of the barrel is more than .005, which is five one thousandths, 
you drop into the next circle and you lose a point. So we have to learn how to make everything stop. Everything stop. At the time of shooting, I stop my breathing. I stop my digestion by not eating 12 hours before competition. I train, my, I, I train by running so that I can stop, uh, so that my pulse is around 60, so that I have a full second between beats. You do all of this, and then you have the technical control. But then you still have to control the mind, which is 80% of shooting. Now, you athletes know that. You can be in the best shape of your life. You can be able to jump high and run fast. But not, 80%, he's saying, is not physical. It's mental. There's a, a racer, race car driver, Sterling Moss, who once said this. He said, it's necessary to relax your muscles when you can. Relaxing your brain, however, is fatal. You can't ever lose focus. Whether you're driving a car down the highway 200 miles an hour or shooting at a target or, or jumping in battle, you, you can't lose your focus or you've lost. The mind is so important. And so we have in this text the importance of the mind, of being able to control our minds and not allow the evil one to control them. If we allow him to control our minds, we're defeated. We lose. He says in verse 6, one mindset leads to death. The other one leads to life and peace. I, I, I take death in verse 6 as referring to a separation from God and that it, we lose fellowship, that we lose fellowship, that if we, if we uh, allow Satan and the flesh to control our minds, we we find ourselves to be out of fellowship with God. There's a separation, and we know that. We know that sin separates us from God. One leads to death. The other one leads to life. I take that as meaning the abundant life. It speaks of a peaceful life, that inward feeling of tranquility. You see, when you start to think like the world, you become further and further away from God. When we start to think like the world and our thoughts are filled with greed and pride and lust and envy and bitterness and hate, we lose fellowship with God. We find ourselves distant from God and we don't feel very close to God. Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever say to yourself, it just seems as though God is so far away. That's not by His choice. That's by your choice. Again, back in Galatians chapter 6, there's a law. It's the law of, the, of reaping and sowing. And it says in verse 6, or in verse, uh, chapter 6 and verse 8 of Galatians, whatever sows, whoever sows to please the flesh, whoever sows to please the flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit, from the spirit will reap eternal life. When we sow to the flesh, we reap destruction. When we sow to the flesh, we wonder, why don't I feel closer to God? Why, did I, why do I not feel that peace and that joy that I'm supposed to experience? 
Well, when you sow to the flesh, you reap destruction. You reap separation from God. One is hostile toward God, we read in verses 7 and 8. One mindset is hostile toward God. And we need to understand that we're talking now about two different natures. Now, we've spoken about this before. There's the old Adamic nature. There's that sinful nature. There's that nature within us that even though it has been crucified with Christ, it still rears its ugly head from time to time. So within us, there is that old nature. And although the Bible says we are dead to sin, we know that it still is very much alive. But it's hostile toward God, according to verses 7 and 8. The, or the King James says we are at, at enmity with God. Uh, this old nature that has been inherited by Adam, this uh, depraved nature. And that's the reason that we are declared sinners. And this old nature, this sinful nature, according to verse 7, cannot submit to the law of God. It cannot submit to God. It is unable to obey God. This word submit is an interesting word in the Greek. It's a military term for being subject to orders. I've never been in the military, but if you have been, uh, you know that you're accountable to someone higher than you. And they at times will give orders, and you have to submit to those. Uh, you have the, the ability, I suppose, to say no, but you know better than to do that. But we are to submit to God, but the old nature is unable to do so. That's why Paul described it back in chapter 3 as having no good, unable to understand, not seeking God. It's a depraved nature. And this mind uh, of this old spiritual, uh, uh, old sinful nature is unable to submit to the laws of God. It's helpless to do so. It cannot. It's hostile and at enmity with God. And so Paul says if you're a believer and you've come to Christ, you know uh, that you're a child of God's, and yet you allow uh, the sinful nature to rear its ugly head, and you don't submit to God, you're acting like someone who doesn't know Christ at all. A, a believer who acts uh, and, and, uh, and gives in to a sinful nature is acting like someone who is unsaved. I want you to also notice in these verses, under point number three, that God's heart is not an iceberg. God's heart is not an iceberg. In other words, God's heart is not cold and hard. If, if the old nature is unable to please God, that suggests that we can please God. We know that. We know that we can please God. Uh, we read in verses such as in Colossians 3, speaks about children. That children who obey their parents in everything, they please the Lord. We need to understand something, that we can really please God. And we also can displease God. God's heart is not cold and hard. But God can be pleased. But God can also be displeased when we fall and yield ourselves to the sinful nature. One is hostile toward God. That sinful nature of Adam is hostile and at enmity with God. 
But according to verses 9 through 11, one is also controlled by the Spirit. Now, there's a little word in these verses in 9 through 11. It's the word if. And it's used, uh, I didn't count how many times, but it says in verse 9, if indeed, um, later, but if, if Christ is in you, um, Paul's not trying to raise doubt in this text. Um, again, referring back to my uh, seminary days when I did take a little Greek, never took any Hebrew, so glad I didn't. Well, now I guess I wish I had, but back then I didn't want anything to do with Hebrew. But the little bit of Greek that I had, um, I, I learned about different conditions, uh, phrases, and there's what's called a first-class condition. And actually, the word if here uh, is a first-class condition, which actually means that we should assume the statement to be true, that Paul's not intending to raise any doubts here. Uh, someone mentioned to me this morning, uh, it's going to be so warm, he might go out and mow his grass this afternoon. Well, let me make a statement. Uh, if you mow your grass this afternoon, I'm sure there will be a lot of people who laugh at you. Now, I said if, but if I use that, say that phrase using the first class condition, I'm assuming it to be true. If you go mow the grass, most likely you're going to have people stop their cars and laugh at you. Now, if I were to say that in July, right? If I were to say the same thing in July, but use, let's say, the second or third class condition, then I'm raising doubt. If you mow your grass today, let's say in July, they will laugh at you. But if I use the second or third class condition, I'm saying, you know, probably nobody's really going to laugh at you. Do you see what this is saying? This is the first class condition. So when we say if, we're assuming it to be true. Paul's not trying to raise any doubt. This is what he's saying. Since, although we don't always talk like that, but you could use that word instead of if. Since Christ is in you. Or because Christ is in you. Your body is dead. The sinful nature has been crucified. But the spirit is alive. He doesn't want us to doubt whether or not we have the spirit. Paul wants us to know we do have the spirit. That's a true statement. If you've come to Christ. If you've trusted Christ. And because of that, you now have, according to verse 11, the power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. God says, I have empowered you with the Spirit of God who lives in you. Don't doubt that. Because if any man has not the Spirit of Christ, he has none of his. If you are a Christian, you have the Spirit. Don't ever doubt that. Therefore, you are empowered by that Spirit. The same power that brought Jesus back to life lives in you. That's what Paul's trying to say in verses 9 through 11. So yes, it's true, we have the old nature, but the old nature has been crucified. The old nature has been rendered powerless. And we now, who have Christ in us, the Spirit of God in us, we have the power the same power that brought Jesus back to life to be able to be more than conquerors through him who loved us. Two mindsets. 
two mindsets. Which one are you controlled by? Let me make a couple of observations because we still haven't answered this question. How do we live that spirit-filled life? Right? That's where we left last week. Remember we kind of closed on a note and saying, well, okay, all that's true, but how do I allow the spirit to control me? How do I do that? Let me make two observations. The one I mentioned a little bit earlier, it's, the obs- it's this, you are what you think. You are what you think. There's a verse back in Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 7 that says this, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Your thought life, will affect everything about you. Your thought life will affect everything about you. It will affect how you act, how you feel, and how you live. If you think all day negative thoughts, you will act in a negative way. If you think sad things, you'll be sad. If you think you're sick, you'll feel sick. If you think you're worthless, you'll turn out to be worthless. If you think bad thoughts, you're going to do bad things. On the other hand, if you think godly things, you're going to act more godly. Now, we'll say more about that in just a moment. The way you think creates your attitudes, shapes your emotions, and governs your behavior. I hope you understand that, that you are what you think. Your mind has so much to play in what you do and who you are. Let's say, for example, there are two people. They're struggling in the area of finances. One of them is consumed with envy and discontentment. The other, however, glows with gratitude and servanthood. Their net worth is the same. The difference is in their minds. Two people, they're both betrayed by someone very close to them. They've been wronged by someone. One, however, lives a a life that's immersed in anger and malice and hatred and thoughts of revenge and vows to never get close to anybody again. The other has chosen the way of forgiveness and peace and has used this experience to build deeper, and more godly relationships. The hurt in both is the same. The difference is in their minds. Everything about your life flows out of the way you think. You are, you really are what you think. The second observation I see is this. You think about what you are exposed to the most. You think about those things that you are exposed to the most. Someone has called this the law of exposure. In other words, what repeatedly enters your mind, what repeatedly enters your mind will occupy your mind. And those things that occupy your mind are going to shape your mind. And those things that shape your mind will ultimately express itself 
in what you do and who you are. The law of exposure. In Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23, it says, Be careful how you think. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. The law of exposure is un, as unyielding as the law of gravity. The law of exposure is as unyielding as the law of gravity. Now hang in there with me for a minute. Some of you are getting a little sleepy and want to go home. I, I can tell. I, I, didn't hear, I, I didn't hear any stomachs growling yet, but uh, we're going we're gonna to be here. We're going to be finished here in a moment, but you need to listen to what I want to say here at the end. The law of exposure is as unyielding as the law of gravity. Now, heaven forbid that I come down off these steps and fall into these flowers, or Nancy and Anne's will have my neck. But suppose I came down and I stumbled and these flowers tipped over. None of us would be surprised if they fell on the floor. Right? It's a law of gravity. Something hits and it falls. We're not surprised by that. We're not surprised when we see the law of gravity take place. And yet, we're surprised when we become what our mind is exposed to the most. For example, children and teenagers today are exposed to a thousand acts of violence and murder on TV, movies, videos, and music. And yet we're surprised when fights break out in bleachers. We're surprised when shootings take place in schools. Why should we be? You fill kids' minds with all this violence, and that's who they become. That's what they do. Or, for example, we're flooded with sexual images every day. Every place you look, every place you go, the exposure rate of sexual images is absolutely incredible. And yet we're surprised when teenagers have Babies outside of marriage, when men are addicted to pornography. Why should we be surprised at that? If you're going to fill your minds with all of these images and be exposed to all of this, the law of exposure says it's going to come out. It's going to come out. You know, I know you've heard it said, maybe you've said it already. You know, I, I, I can watch that kind of stuff. That really isn't going to affect me. I can listen to those twisted lyrics. I can handle all of that. I just let it go in one ear and right out the other. No, you don't. The mind's in there. And somewhere it lodges in the mind. And what you are exposed to day after day after day is going to affect how, what you do and how you live. So what we need to do is expose our minds to those things that are pure and wholesome. There's a verse in Philippians. Let me read it to you. Just listen. In Philippians chapter 4, it says this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, 
whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace, there's our word peace again, will be with you. Dallas Willard, he writes this. He said, the ultimate freedom we have as human beings is the power to select what we will allow or require our minds to dwell on. The greatest power we have as human beings is the power to say, I'm not going to watch that or I will watch this. I'm not going to be exposed to that or I will be exposed to this. The greatest freedom that we have is to be able to select what we're going to allow to go into our minds. And that's a choice you make. You see, being controlled by the Spirit, there's no magic formula. It takes discipline to say, I'm going to think on these things that are true and noble and right and pure and lovely. These excellent and praiseworthy things. You see, I think we need to change what we allow our minds to see and hear. Now, I know that's not possible 100%. You can't drive down the highway and not see a billboard with something that we ought not see. You can't turn on the TV and not see something that ought not probably be filtered through your mind. But as much as is possible, we've got to discipline ourselves and not allow ourselves to be exposed to these things. The law of exposure is as unyielding as the law of gravity. This will fall if I push it. You will become what you are exposed to the most. The closing song that we're going to sing is actually a song, it's actually a prayer. And so I would like for us to close in prayer as we sing this song. It's hymn number 349, hymn number 349, and it speaks of the mind of Christ, the mind of Christ. The Bible says that we have the mind of Christ. We just need to allow that mind uh, to shape us and mold us. May the mind of Christ my Savior live in me from day to day, by his love and power controlling all I do and all I say. 349, may the mind of Christ. Let's sing this, and let's sing it as a prayer. May this be the prayer of our hearts as we close this morning. May the mind of Christ my Savior live in me from day to day. By his love and power controlling all I do and say. May the word of God dwell richly in my heart from hour to hour so that all may see triumph 
only through his power. May the peace of God my Father rule my life in everything that I be calm to comfort against sorrowing. May the love Jesus fill as the waters fill the sea him exalting self basing this is victory may his beauty rest upon me as i seek to win the lawn and may they forget <coughs> So, Father, we want people to see Jesus in us. We want for God to show through. And, Father, we ask that you might control us in that way, in a way that, Father, others, as they look at us, might not see us, but see Jesus living in us. Father, give us the strength, the power that you promised in this text to empower us, to be able to say no, to those things, Lord, that we just ought not be exposed to and say yes to those things that are right and praiseworthy and excellent. Father, give us the discipline to be able to do the right thing. For, Father, we know that this shapes us and this molds us to who we are today and who we will be in the future. So, again, we are thankful, Father, that you have given to us the power that is needed, the power to be able to do the right thing. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
Praising my Savior all the day long.